In terms of the next few days, I mean, we're wondering about how volatile the situation could become because it's been a, a remarkable, I suppose, how stoic people in Zimbabwe have been about this intervention. The fact that uh, there hasn't been uh, excessive violence and scenes of excessive violence perhaps have lent it to, uh, to themselves. And perhaps the fact that Zimbabweans have for so many years been in, in a way under the cosh um, means that they are, are fairly, how should we say, pragmatic about uh, the events. But what dangers are there if, if nothing is resolved in the next few days? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I do uh, have to reinforce the point that, um, you know, the, the protests um, towards the Mugabe administration by its critics um, have um, always been quite, um, if I can call it, placid um, or even respectful and, and not what we've seen in, in many other countries. Um, but I think that the key issues um, or the key issues of concern moving forward um, is whether, and, and this is again based on, on allegations, for example, that the Zimbabwean Defence Forces are seeking President Mugabe to leave um, immediately, whereas his position is one which he seeks to still kind of work within the ambit of the Zimbabwean constitution and wait potentially until December when ZANU-PF has its own uh, leadership conference where he might you know, formally transfer executive powers um, to a new representative from within the movement, or potentially until elections are held in, in 2018, which he might use as an opportunity to step down. So while there's this disconnect in terms of the potential timing of President Mugabe's transference of executive powers, I think that this is the potential catalyst um, for, for any instability should they be um, moving forward if there cannot be a negotiated settlement um, to these terms. Uh, another key issue that I think needs kind of further um, inspection by all stakeholders is what is exactly the position of the military at this stage. There is obviously suggestions um, that they are seeking to um, get uh, former Vice President uh, Emerson Marangagwa into a position of power, um, but, but is this definitively the case? Or are they just seeking, for example, of a removal of certain political figures within the Sino-PF party that was aligned to Grace Mugabe, um, President Mugabe's wife, who herself was being perceived as having um, you know, ambitions to lead the party, lead the country, and also isolate um, influential military figures you know, from um, whatever administration has, she herself was going to establish. So there are so many questions that have yet to be answered, um, and it's very difficult to kind of give any form of short to medium term outlook on what the security or political trajectory could be in Zimbabwe when we don't have any definitive conclusions on the military's needs itself, and also whether it's an homogenous actor um, you know, in its current actions um, against the, the incumbent uh, dispensation. In terms of the, the actual, uh, you know, major role players here, that perhaps is another thing which uh, needs to be interrogated. President Mugabe, you know, the iron-fisted uh, leader since uh, liberation, has always had an incredible control on the party. Maybe the worries uh, of the increasing power of Grace Mugabe is what's prompted this. But who is actually going to um, emerge from this um, as potential leaders? Yes, Mangagwa is, uh, um, you know, the the name I suppose we have to talk about, but he does have that association with Mugabe himself. A lot of people are saying, you know, careful what you wish for. 
are some of the people who may have been quiet within ZANU-PF in that, that status quo now going to see, you know, are we going to see a sort of shifting in the, 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 the complete approach of ZANU-PF and a new kind of ZANU-PF emerge? Well, I think that that's possible, and that does not necessarily mean that um, any kind of reformist movement within the organization might not come from Manangagwa himself. Um, there was some interesting trove of um, so-called intelligence files um, that was uncovered in Zimbabwe, and there was various allegations that was made against the deposed vice president in terms of what his um, ambitions were for ZANU-PF and Zimbabwe as a whole if he was ever to assume executive powers, some of this stated that he was looking to incorporate the likes of uh, Morgan Sangarai and Joyce Majuru back into governance structures to kind of present as ZANU-PF, but uh, or, or not necessarily as ZANU-PF, but as Zimbabwean dispensation that was more inclusive and had um, a greater buy-in from the rest of Zimbabweans um, who were desperately seeking on ZANU-PF to reform, um, you know, from a, a stance which was seen as being quite uh, oppressive towards democratization. There was even talk that uh, Mr. Manangagwa was seeking to re-invite um, so-called white farmers who had lost um, you know, land uh, under uh, President Mugabe's um, economic reform policies to come back to Zimbabwe as a means of stimulating the country's economy, specifically the agricultural sector. And there was also talk of him um, kind of looking again to reform the socio-political dynamic in the country, engage Western donors such as the IMF um, to kind of stimulate again some form of um, uh, economic package that was looking to um, get Zimbabwe outside of the current economic malaise that the country was suffering from. Again, the veracity of these reports um, cannot be verified. Um, but from within ZANU-PF itself and from within Zimbabwe itself, there were allegations um, made that Mr. Manangagwa had um, a uh, so-called political plan in place for Zimbabwe, which deviated quite significantly from what we saw under the dispensation of, of President Robert Mugabe. But I think in terms of looking at the key players within the country, anybody who emerges within any leadership position would probably still need to have the support of the military and also possibly be backed by the Zimbabwean Defence Forces because they are illustrating in the past few days how much of a key stakeholder and also kingmaker they will serve um, in terms of um, electing any form of um, current and also future leadership um, within the Southern African in, country. In those terms, what role, if any, can SADC, which has been uh, mandated by the AU uh, to take the lead role in helping resolve this, actually do? Because they haven't proved very effective in other interventions. Definitely. I think uh, the key issue for any of these regional blocs, who are obviously collectively um, situated within the, the African Union, is that you always have to kind of formulate solutions which doesn't impinge on the um, sovereignty um, of any of, of, of the so-called member states. And I think that this is exactly the same issue that we, we see in Zimbabwe. You know, outside of diplomacy, which is always the most prudent form of action because it gets all the stakeholders together and allows them to discuss those issues and basically formulate a negotiated settlement which has the buy-in of all parties, but which importantly buys legitimacy 
to whatever political decision is made moving forward. And, and, and this is the constraints that SADAC will face. In, immediately, they'll have to play the role of arbitrator before they play the role of enforcer because then, you know, whatever, um, if they choose the latter, you know, whatever kind of solution is formulated will be seen by Zimbabweans and by key domestic stakeholders in Zimbabwe as a solution that was enforced upon them and upon the country as opposed to something that was developed from a grassroots level and was developed, you know, with all parties kind of settling um, into uh, conciliatory mediation and coming with, up with a solution um, that, that has the buy-in of, of all stakeholders.